how a Virginia power company is trying to discourage gun owners from voting, and an interview with Cam Edwards of Bearing Arms. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I made the devil run. I gave him poison just for fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can head over and get a membership today to get access to exclusive posts and exclusive reporting, exclusive analysis, stuff you will literally not get anywhere else, no matter where you look. Uh, and you'll also get early access to this here podcast, plus the chance to be on the podcast, uh, if you'd like. We've had some really nice uh, segments where we've had... Reload members on who kind of explain who they are, their background, how they got into um, potentially into owning firearms or in the firearms industry in some way. And, you know, how they came across the reload and what made them join those sorts of things. I always find those really interesting. So, by the way, if you are already a reload member, uh, feel free to respond to your Sunday uh, newsletter, your exclusive analysis newsletter that you get every Sunday. Uh, and let us know that you want to be on the show and we'll have you on. Um, I think that those are, like I said, some of the best segments we do on this show. But this week we are talking with uh, contributing writer Jake Fogelman uh, about the latest developments in the gun world. First up, we have the Virginia gubernatorial election, which has been the source of, of some <laughs> recent controversy. Is that right, Jake? Uh, yeah, um, so Brooke or, covered a couple stories here um, about you know Terry McAuliffe, and it came out that uh, Dominion Energy, which is a major power company in Virginia, um, was contributing two hundred thousand dollars to a recently created PAC, uh, Virginia Accountability PAC, um, and that group was running sort of shadowy ads in Republican strongholds in the state, uh, basically calling Glenn Youngkin a squish on gun rights issues. Um, ostensibly to, you know, depress turnout in those areas um, for people turning out to, the, to, to race. And it's, it's notable because McAuliffe publicly swore off of funding from Dominion. And so this kind of end run around that is, uh, is very interesting, very, very suspicious. Yeah, very underhanded. <laughs> not, not like a, a completely unheard of thing to do in politics, certainly. Sure. But it's one of those things that's very sleazy. Uh, I think most people view it as, as very underhanded and uh, unfortunately more common than everyone would like, which is kind of what turns a lot of people off from politics is exactly this kind of stuff. Uh, and the Absolutely. CEO, uh, Robert Blue, came out and, and said that uh, Dominion just had they had no idea what was going on. They didn't know that this money was going to go towards uh, ads that were pretending to be from, uh, you know, a gun rights group when really the group is. Uh, founded and run by a, a progressive consulting firm, a liberal consulting firm, and which raises its money through Act Blue, which is the right. largest liberal uh, fundraising network in the country. Uh, the, very clearly, I think to anyone paying attention, they are not a legitimate gun rights group. Now, they, they do latch on to a legitimate complaint about the Republican in this race, uh, Glenn Youngkin, where he hasn't sought out the endorsements of the gun rights groups, the NRA or the, or the VCDL. He's refused to fill out their their election surveys so they won't right. endorse him. Um, now, that that does seem to be something of a intentional strategy on Youngkin's part to maybe avoid. Uh, he's trying to sort of 
walk the tightrope when it comes to a number of things. You know, Donald Trump, he's he's kind of kept him at arm's length, but not rejected him entirely. Right. right. Uh, which has upset Trump to some degree. Um, but uh, it seems to be working so, at least well enough to keep him in the single digits range of Terry McAuliffe, the former Democratic governor here. Uh, Virginia has a weird system where governors can only serve for one term at a time, but they can later on run for real life, run to be governor again if they'd like, which is exactly what's happening here. McAuliffe was uh, the previous governor before Northam, uh, who's also a Democrat, and then Northam can't run again. Not that he probably would at this point, given uh, his the whole blackface scandal where he was, you know, caught wearing uh, blackface in a picture in his uh, one of his college yearbooks. Um, but he he didn't resign and has stayed on. And but he anyway he can't seek reelection at this point, regardless. So McAuliffe uh, came back in to do it instead. And yes, like you said, he swore off donations from Dominion Energy. Which is which is like a sixty-two billion dollar utility company that operates in like six or seven different states, but you know as you can probably tell from the name is most associated with Virginia, um, right. where it provides most of the power to most people in the state. And I think that also underscores um, another reason people find this very distasteful, which is that Dominion is a utility. You cannot right. just buy a different power company in Virginia, unfortunately. That's not how it works. I like right. my power is is from Dominion uh, here in Alexandria, Virginia. And I couldn't just like tell my apartment complex to switch power, you know, suppliers. That's not how it works. So I think people sure. don't like the idea of them meddling in this, especially in this way, frankly, because right. they're doing it. They're clearly... Uh, trying to get around, McCull like you mentioned, McAuliffe's whole declaration that he wouldn't take money from them. Um, they obviously want him to win over Yunkin um, for yeah, whatever reason. Maybe Yunkin, maybe they believe that McAuliffe will give them more incentives for certain programs and green energy programs that they're involved with or what, whatever the reason is. Yeah, who knows? They clearly prefer McAuliffe to Yunkin. And this is just the most backdoor sort of shady way of trying to influence the race and their, their excuse that they just didn't know what was going to happen yeah, with this money they gave this group. Right. It, it's not remotely credible because right. this group, you know, they said, I guess they blue says, you know, oh, we knew these guys that were making this, this pack. Right. So the consulting firm, I guess they're familiar with, um, but I, the, supposedly they didn't know what they were going to do with the money. They didn't know they were going to basically disingenuously uh, attack Glenn Youngkin from the right on guns. When McCullough, when, you know, yes, Glenn Youngkin has not been endorsed by these gun rights groups, but he's clearly far more uh, pro-gun or uh in favor of fewer gun new restrictions than Terry McAuliffe is like, that's not sure. really no question on that. It's more of a question of w whether he would fill out the surveys and whether he'll follow through on the things that he says, right. you know, he, he supports like, um, you know, he's against an assault weapons ban, but if there's obvious, there's obviously real questions. That's how these attacks work. You take some legitimate uh, concern or criticism of someone 
and you latch onto that, but you're doing it in a way that <laughs> by people who are obviously disingenuous about that concern. Because if you were worried about gun rights in this campaign, right, as, as the actual gun rights groups are, the NRA and BCDL, you would also be criticizing at the very at the very least, you would also criticize Terry McAuliffe for his right. very strong stances on wanting to implement even more gun restrictions than what sure. was just implemented in the last uh, state, the session of the state house here in Virginia. Uh, so McAuliffe is very open about supporting an assault weapons ban. He supported sure. assault weapons uh, confiscation, AR-15s, AK-47s, guns like that, very popular firearms. Uh, he wants to confiscate them, right. uh, is what the Democrats had proposed repeatedly over the last several years and what McAuliffe has, has supported in the past. Now, I think his stated position on his campaign website is just opposing the sale of, uh, you know, th these sorts of firearms. But in the past, he's been on board with confiscation efforts as well. They didn't, right. they didn't get into law, but he, he was supported them. And so, you know, if you're going to be concerned about gun rights in this in this race, you obviously can't just criticize Youngkin. You can criticize him for not and VCDL and, and others have criticized him for not sure. uh, being more uh, stringent on the issue, being more open about his uh, where he stands and uh, making it more of a primary issue in his campaign. Uh, but. As BCDL and others have pointed out, the policy differences are stark and obvious and clear when you look at them. So uh, when Dominion comes along and gives money to this group who disingenuously is attacking Youngkin from the right on guns and says they didn't know what was going to happen, it's just it's just kind of a joke, uh, sure. like, to be honest, to be completely honest about the whole thing. I obviously I do my best not to opine so much on this podcast or in my writing, but sometimes there's just things that are so ridiculous that uh, you know, I can't, I can't help it. It's, you know, this group was founded in July of 2021. The idea <laughs> right. that they came around and just found this group, didn't know what the heck it was, didn't know right. what it was going to do and gave them six figures is laughable. And right. if it were true, it wouldn't make them look any better. It'd make them look very stupid, right. frankly. I, I guess they're go, they're playing uh, ignorant here, and it's not a good look one way or the other. Right. And as you said, you're a Virginia gun owner. You have no choice but to pay money to these people. I mean, how does that make you feel as a gun owner to, to sit there and say, look, this company that I have to give money to to keep the lights on is now publicly campaigning to elect a guy that wants to take away my gun rights. So as you said, it is kind of a joke. It's a, a wild situation. Oh, it certainly is. Uh, but we'll have more on that in the, in the newsletter this week as well. Uh, and, and on, you know, uh, the idea of where, where guns is going to come down as far as importance in this election. Uh, you know, the, the, the candidates have really focused on other things so right. far. Uh, and we're going to get more into this with uh, actually with Cam Edwards of Bearing Arms here in a moment in the interview. But uh, with the race this close, I think it uh, even though Youngkin and McAuliffe have focused on different issues primarily throughout the race, anything can have a real impact. So uh, sure. but we'll get into that more with with Cam. I think what else I wanted to talk to you about specifically was your piece on the Pennsylvania uh, Supreme Court's recent ruling. It's another place that's 
dear to my heart. I'm from Pennsylvania originally. Uh, for anyone who didn't uh, realize this, uh, who follows me on Twitter and sees all the the Philly sports tweets, those are. Uh, I was born into that torture, so uh, that's why that's why <laughs> that happens. But uh, yeah, so Philly, Pennsylvania Supreme Court they had a big ruling today on preemption laws. Is that well this week on preemption laws? Is that right? Yeah, uh, there was a big ruling. So the whole case centered around the issue of standing. So typically, uh, in order to bring a suit against one of these laws, you have to have been a victim of prosecution under these laws. That's traditionally how it's been understood. Uh, but the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled in this case that the law itself existing and the nature of someone being a gun owner in that jurisdiction was sufficient enough that you can bring standing to sue against those laws. So in this case, Harrisburg had, I think, four ordinances that were under question. Things like there was a ban in city parks on possessing a firearm. Uh, discharging your firearm outside of designated gun ranges. Uh, there was a mandatory reporting if you lost or had your firearm stolen. So things like that, that uh, a local gun group was suing against. And yeah. And, yeah, uh, and, the, uh, and the issue there, right, is that uh, in Pennsylvania, there's a state law that says, that's as right, there yeah. is in, in a lot of states now, that yeah. says localities can't pass these kinds of restrictions that go further than what the state law is, right? That's correct. Yeah. So they're one of 42 states that have a, a very robust preemption law that essentially says, you know, can't be stricter than what the state mandates. Um, and that's pretty significant in Pennsylvania. Uh, they've had you know, battles, several battles over the years where big cities like Pittsburgh and Philadelphia will try to test the limits and pass a law. And they almost always end up getting struck down under that pre preemption statute. So it'll be interesting to see going forward with this new ruling if you know, more gun owners are now able to bring suits against any time one of these cities tries to pass new gun laws. Yeah, I think it's interesting, uh, especially because some of those ordinances are ones that Philadelphia has, like that that park ban, uh, guns in the park ban. Um, and, and yeah, they, they often will get struck down in court. But the the hiccup here is that a lot of these places will pass these laws and then never prosecute anyone for them. Uh, I think Pittsburgh was trying to do something like this. Um, and then uh, they actually were threatened with legal action from uh, the district attorney out there uh, for, for trying to pursue illegal laws, basically, or laws right. that would violate the, the, the state preemption bill. Um, and this fight has actually, you know, been pretty hot the last couple of years throughout the country, right? Not just in Pennsylvania, although... It has been hot in Pennsylvania, too. Uh, for instance, uh, Philadelphia's uh, concealed carry permit application process has been called into question uh, a number of times because they keep adding new requirements that go beyond what state law requires, uh, and they keep getting sued over that. Right. Uh, so uh, it's certainly been something that's come up a number of times in Pennsylvania, but it's also come up uh, across the country. I mean, really, this is a fairly new uh, protection for gun rights that didn't exist, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Right. Um, most states didn't have these kinds of preemption laws. And the complaint was that you could, within a state, you could have, a, you know, a dozen, two dozen different uh, restrictions on firearms. And if you travel throughout that state, you might be a felon in one county and not in another. So uh, it was uh, sort of, they call it like a spider web of laws. Uh, and that this was the main complaint that people had um, on the gun rights side of the issue about 
the situation. And so they, a lot like concealed carry permits, they took about, you know, they went about and had a grassroots campaign to change these laws throughout the country and institute preemption laws that made it so the the law of the gun laws in each state were uniform so that you could at least have an understanding from state to state what what was illegal and what was not sure uh, and so recently um you've seen a number of and i think you're going to write a bit more about this too It'd probably be out by the time this podcast goes up but yeah but uh recently you've seen gun control advocates challenging these preemption laws throughout the country as well by trying to get localities to pass uh, stricter pr provisions within you know their own authority and and then challenge them in court and they've actually lost quite a lot of those that hasn't been a very successful tactic in recent years for for the gun control uh, community and um, now you're actually seeing them go back towards legislation because they yeah. have had some success in recent years. Yeah. Right. My home state of Colorado. Yeah. Both our they, home uh, states. Yeah. That's right. Colorado, uh, Virginia. Would be, well, the city of Boulder had an assault weapons ban that was struck down under our preemption law this spring. Mm -hmm. And then after that tragic shooting at the King Supers that happened there, um, it just galvanized the state legislature and we completely did away with our preemption statute. So now it's, uh, free reign for localities to pass any gun law that they want, so long as it's not less strict than the state. Yeah. And uh, Virginia chipped away at, at its preemption law just recently as part of the package that Democrats passed in 2020, where uh, basically localities can create their own regulations over uh, where people are allowed to carry guns. So inside local government buildings, at parks or inside parks, uh, similar to what Harrisburg and Philadelphia uh, have right. implemented illegally up in Pennsylvania. Uh, now, you localities can do that legally here. They can restrict guns from parks and from permitted events or events that should be permitted, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, so like protests or large gatherings of people that don't have permits uh, to gather. Um, so... You know, it, it's certainly become an issue here and in Alexandria specifically where I live. They've banned all uh, they banned guns in all the parks. They put up signs and so forth. Um, and so um, it's not as extreme as what they did in Colorado, which was, you know, removing all preemption protections. But uh, so you have seen some success for the gun control side of things on that front, you know, limited success in a couple of states on rolling back these preemption protections. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what this this Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling does for the state. That's been a big fight up there for a while now. They're, they even passed a law that would have allowed um, like gun rights groups to sue of their own volition, but that got uh, caught up in basically like technicalities of how it was passed, not the law itself, uh, but the way they passed it was deemed to be uh, not in compliance with state constitution. So uh, they, they weren't able to, uh, to put that into effect. But now it seems like um, you're going to see a lot more of these suits. But sure. uh, it'll be interesting to watch. We'll keep an eye on it for sure. Uh, but anyway, we've got uh, a great interview with Cam Edwards, Bearing Arms, coming up. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Virginia elections uh, and how some of these Dominion uh, shenanigans have played out and what 
it actually looks like is going to happen in about a week here when Virginians head to the polls. So stay tuned for that. I'm here with Cam Edwards of Bearing Arms. Cam, why don't you give our, our listeners a little bit of background about yourself? You bet. So uh, as you just mentioned, editor at BearingArms.com, host of the Cam and Company podcast. You can find it on YouTube and Rumble and Apple Podcasts at Amazon and all the rest. Um, before Buried Arms, I was the host of Cam and Company on NRA News and then NRA TV from 2004 to uh, 2019. Uh, also a member of the board of the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. And you live in Virginia. I do live in Virginia. Yes. In fact, in lovely I, Farmville. Right? I just yeah. I, in fact, uh, I was just thinking about it the other day. So I've, I've now officially lived in central Virginia longer than I lived in northern Virginia. I've, I've lived in a rural part of Virginia longer than I lived in the D.C. suburbs. So. I don't think I can be called a DC transplant anymore. I think that's how that works. <laughs> yes, I think that's fair. Uh, pretty different lifestyle down there, I, I guess. Because I'm up in, uh, uh, for any listeners who don't know, I'm up in Alexandria, Virginia, which is uh, northern Virginia near Washington, D.C. Um, and so Cam is is a couple hours away from me down south uh, in, in a much prettier <laughs> area of the state. Uh, not, you know. Old Town, Alexandria is very nice. Uh, you know, this is a much more built up area, though, than uh, than as the name implies, than than Farmville is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I so Fairfax County, I think, was one point eight million people. We moved to a yes. county that was eighteen thousand people in uh, about the same size as Fairfax County. So, you know, it, it, the, the population density is a lot less. Um, the traffic's not nearly as bad, although we we've had a lot of Amish move into the area. So we actually now we have to watch out for horse and buggies. And, uh, and you know, that'll slow you down just like, uh, you know, an accident on, on 495. So uh, but, it, it you know, it, it it has given me, I think, a kind of um, interesting perspective because I, I, I do have the northern Virginia experience, but I also now have the, that experience of living in um, a, a very rural community and a much more, you know, red part of the state. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, personally, uh, it's been great. Um, I'd love to see, you know, a statewide election where gun owners can actually come out uh, ahead. It's been a long time since that's been the case in Virginia. But um, I mean, this could be the year. This is a fascinating uh, just, you know, from a political standpoint. I mean, I, I'm personally invested in this race, too, as a voter and a Virginian. But just from a just, you know, being able to like look at it from 30,000 feet. I mean, this is just really a fascinating race because Terry McAuliffe is such an abysmal candidate. Uh, and, you know, Glenn Youngkin, I, I've said he's been playing it a little too safe for my liking, but you can't argue with what the polls are saying. I mean, it's you know, it, this is, I think, Youngkin's race to lose at this point a couple of weeks out. Interesting. You think it's you think it's turned that much because I do. Uh, obviously McAuliffe has been. Leading probably five, seven points uh, up to the last, I don't know, month or so uh, in most polling. But we have seen certainly tightening now. And you've seen a number of polls, not just uh, Republican leaning polls either, in, in more mainstream polls. You've seen the race at uh, basically a tie at this point. Um, so you, so from your point of view, that's... Uh, that that means that things are actually leaning towards Yunkin a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think it's breaking towards Yunkin at this point. Um, and you know, unless Terry McCullough was able to do something to stop that, I think that independents are going to continue to break for Yunkin. I mean, remember, early voting is already happening right now, so there are people right. casting a ballot. 
Um, now, if 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 McAuliffe was able to bank a lot of votes early, I mean, maybe that'll be helpful to him. But the way he's running his campaign, I, I don't think they're confident that they banked many votes at all uh, early on. I think they're still really, really worried about turnout uh, for McAuliffe. And that's why they're bringing in, you know, not just Barack Obama, uh, but they brought in they brought in Stacey Abrams. I mean, Terry McAuliffe has been basically running this campaign that, you know, Glenn Youngkin is Donald Trump in a mask. Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and it's all about, you know, uh, stolen elections and the big lie. And then he brings a woman who believes she's the governor of Georgia to campaign for him in Virginia. I mean, it's it's yeah. it really is amazing. And I think, you know, while he's trying to get his base of support energized, I think it's look, I mean, there are conservatives who are going to be energized now because McAuliffe is bringing in Stacey Abrams while he's trying to pretend to be this, you know, moderate middle of the road candidate. Um, yeah, it is. It is funny to watch him uh, do the the whole uh, Trump thing with, yeah. with Youngkin, uh, which, you know, to be fair, you know, uh, to me, that 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 is a concern. But, you know, I don't I don't love, uh, obviously, the way that the former President Trump has has reacted to losing his election and the lies that he's told about it. And and you, you there's probably some space to uh, go after Youngkin on on that front for not being forceful enough and how he's, uh, you know, uh, talked about the last election. But the problem is with that tactic, as you just noted here, is that not only did McAuliffe bring in Stacey Abrams, who didn't, uh, who, who still holds that she won uh, effectively the, the Georgia gubernatorial race a couple of years ago when she clearly did not. Uh, but McAuliffe himself has questioned the veracity of, of multiple elections uh, on record and, and stands by that today. So it's like, uh, okay, you don't, uh, you know, you're telling me not to vote for Youngkin because he's not solid enough on accepting the results of elections, uh, but you're doing the same thing. So it's it's just a very weird uh, strategy that that he's employed with regards to that, and that seems to be kind of his main strategy is just say that Youngkin is Trump. <laughs> right. Youngkin is obviously trying to walk this sort of tightrope of uh, keeping Trump at an arm's length, but not going full, you know, anti-Trump. Uh, by any means. And, and so, you know, which seems to be working thus far, at least in the polling, obviously we'll see how it, the election turns out, but um, you know, I, in another area, he seems to be walking a tightrope with uh, that. I think we'll get a little more in depth on here is guns as well. Cause you've had Yunkin. Uh, there's an interesting dynamic there too. You've had Yunkin uh, avoid, not seek out the, endorsements of the NRA, uh, the Virginia Citizens Defense League. He won't fill out their surveys, their candidate surveys, so he has not been endorsed by either of those groups. Uh, while at the same time, he clearly has positions that are a stark contrast with Terry McAuliffe, who is uh, staunchly pro-gun control and wants to implement uh, a new assault weapons ban and in the past has supported even confiscation of uh, firearms like the AR-15 or the AK-47, uh, whereas Youngkin is opposed to that um, and has said so on record. Uh, but it, so Youngkin is also walking a bit of a tightrope on that issue. And McAuliffe, or at least, I guess, perhaps McAuliffe's allies in this case, not him directly, have gone after Youngkin for exactly that. But in a way, 
that is fairly underhanded, right? You had a new pack come mm-hmm. in, uh, set up shop in July, uh, pretend that they are some sort of gun rights group and run a bunch of ads. Uh, actually, I just got one of these ads served to me on Facebook today. Uh, it's a Thursday when we were. When My we were wife famous. got one yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So they're still doing this. Oh, yeah. By the way. <laughs> it's still active. Uh, but these ads, uh, they attack Yunkin uh, for not seeking out those endorsements. You know, so they're acting as though they're a pro gun rights group, but they're, they've been set up and are run by a liberal consulting firm that uses Act Blue, which is uh, the nation's leading progressive fundraising operation uh, to raise their donations. So um, clearly what's happening with these ads is disingenuous. They're, they're trying to go after Youngkin from the right on guns. They're targeting Republican areas of the state and and Republican leading, or at least you know, uh, conservative leaning voters like myself and and uh, Miss E down there in mm-hmm. Farmville, uh, in a clear attempt to suppress turnout among gun gun owners and help Terry McAuliffe. Uh, now, interestingly, we found out who was behind these ads, right? Or at least who was one of the uh, contributors? Yeah, Dominion Energy. Yes. Uh, and the reason why I found out about this is because they declared. This right. It wasn't that uh, uh, the pack itself said, "Okay, you know, Dominion has given us money." It was Dominion that reported it in in their finance uh, reporting, and two hundred thousand dollar donation to this pack that, as you say, is designed to depress the turnout of gun owners in Virginia. Um, right. And so, and when Dominion, this, yeah, Dominion is is a power company. It's a utility. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, the largest it's a, one in the state. Exactly. Um, it's a huge energy company. And it, you know, and so what's interesting is the Democrat running for lieutenant governor, um, Ayala, I can't remember her first name. She had vowed not to take any money from Dominion, right? Because the left doesn't want to be seen as cozying up to the corporate interests, right? Because they're all about going after Wall Street. Well, she reversed her position after the primary was over and accepted a uh, very, very large donation from Dominion as well and basically said, yeah, get over it. Um, this isn't a direct donation to McAuliffe. Right. But but it's an it's in essence, it's an in-kind donation. Um, but the way that and look, I, I look, if Dominion was spending two hundred thousand dollars on ads for Terry McAuliffe. That wouldn't be nearly as big a story. Or but even then, against Glenn Youngkin, just outright. Right. but It's the underhanded nature. But funding ads that are deceptive, right, that's the issue. Because, look, like it or not, I mean, you can, you can decide what you want about Glenn Youngkin's decision not to seek the endorsement of the NRA and the VCDL by not filling out their questionnaires. Right. But, but he's answered that question, and that's his response. He says, I didn't fill out anybody's questionnaire. Um, so he said it wasn't, you know, that it wasn't trying to seek the nomination. He said, I just didn't fill out anybody's questionnaire. Again, believe it or not, like it or not, that's his answer. Yeah. And, um, that, and that's how these, that's how a lot of these, when they do these sorts of, uh, underhanded tactics, which obviously is not the first time that yeah. somebody has done this, has funded ads that have nothing to do with their interest because it hurts a candidate they don't like, right? That's not new. It's sleazy. Uh, and it's one of those, you know, the, the combination of sleaziness and commonness is one of the things that turns people off about politics. Do you, you know, remember the American Hunters and Shooters Association? Yes, this happens with guns quite a lot. right? It does. Right. 
Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, it, it, every election cycle, it seems somewhere uh, you get one of these AstroTurf gun groups that pops up mm-hmm. and, you know, tries to tell you what, what's interesting, though, is that normally in the past, like American Hunters and Shooters Association, they were running ads saying things like, you know, John Kerry is a sportsman and he'll protect your rights. But it generally wasn't attacking the Republican as being soft on guns. Like that, this is, there's an extra layer of crumminess and sleaziness to this uh, beyond just the typical AstroTurf. Yeah, that's what they'll do is they'll pick something that where there's a, there, there's legitimacy to the complaint, right? Because mm-hmm. like you said, that it's legitimate for a gun owner or gun rights uh, proponent to make this complaint about Yunkin to go and say, well, I, I you know, NVCDL has done this. The Virginia Citizens Defense League says like, well, Look, we understand his positions are pro-gun, and he's obviously created a very stark contrast between himself and McAuliffe, who's very pro-gun control. Uh, but, you know, if he's not willing to fill out these surveys or, you know, that that's going to affect how people view his commitment to this issue. And and so you take this legitimate complaint and then you, you disingenuously <laughs> forward it with a bunch of money from uh, a power company. Uh, and and that that's where it turns into something that's uh, that a lot of people are probably not going to be responsive to. In fact, all of the comments on the Facebook ad that I was served uh, by the group were were wildly negative uh, about the group itself. Um, and it was clear, like the people who commented at least knew what what was going on, thanks to the reporting of you know places like uh, or people like Lachlan Marquet at, at Axios and you and me and others who've written about it. But um, it, it's it's something that's created backlash too. I, I, I wonder if there's a couple things that I wonder about this. First is like, did this hurt them more than it helped? Because like now that everyone knows what ha- what they were doing, mm-hmm. uh, Dominion's res- being protested by Vir- Virginia Citizens Defense League, which is one of the groups they were trying to piggyback off of to make these deceptive ads uh, that only uh, now highlights the stark contrast between McAuliffe and Youngkin on their stated positions on guns. Yep. Um, but then the other thing uh, that I think is even uh, perhaps interesting to note here uh, is about Youngkin's strategy itself, this tightrope strategy. Like, clearly uh, the analysts who uh, Dominion was willing to back with six figures worth of donations determined that this is a weakness for him. That he's not uh, going far enough uh, on this issue, uh, and that leaves him vulnerable with Republican voters in the state. Uh, you sort of alluded to this earlier, and I wonder, like, yeah, obviously, Dominion and and the people behind this consulting firm behind this pack are doing something underhanded. But I think it it's evidence of a miscalculation, perhaps, on Youngkin's part, um, or even on McAuliffe's part for McAuliffe being remaining very pro-gun control uh, in his own campaign. Uh, it seems like the the political uh, analysts out there, at least some of them, think that guns could be a much bigger motivating factor for uh, at least Republican areas of, of the state if Youngkin were to actually do more with it. Well, I, so, yeah, okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and yes, to that last point, I mean, don't forget, it was, you know, late 2019, early 2020, 
um, when we had the Second Amendment Sanctuary Movement in, in Virginia. And what was it? Yep. 95 counties uh, ended up uh, becoming Second Amendment Sanctuaries. You had dozens of towns. I mean, that was less than two years ago. Uh, you know, it, it, and it was a result of the 2019 elections. It was a direct result of Democrats taking control of state government two years ago. So mm-hmm. why you wouldn't want to remind the voters of what's at stake in those Second Amendment sanctuaries and make that a, a part of your campaign? I don't know. Uh, unless, you know, Youngkin's advisors are saying it turns off moderates and, uh, and independents in Fairfax County or the Richmond suburbs. Right. Um, yeah, and that he, seems to be the calculus, right? Right. Is that he, he doesn't want to upset uh, voters in Northern Virginia, which like, you know, and, and that's the, that's always the balance when you're running in, in Virginia, right? Yeah. Is that places like Farmville, you might be able to motivate a lot of people with uh, gun rights advocacy there. Uh, but places like Arlington, uh, where far more people live, uh, you, you might turn them off. I don't know. It's interesting, though. Because if you look at if we're just zooming in on Virginia here, first mm-hmm. of all, I mean, it hasn't even actually been two years. It, it's time is obviously a, right. a very abstract concept these days after having lived through a, <laughs> a pandemic. But the big protest in Richmond, right, that we both attended and, mm-hmm. and covered and you spoke at, actually, uh, that happened in January 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I know it seems like it was much longer ago, but that was the last major political movement in this entire state. I mean, largely because, you know, we've been locked down and not, not for the entire two years since then, but, but uh, you know, there hasn't, there hasn't been like a grassroots movement of that nature until really the latest with the school boards protests, even, and even those are far more limited uh, in scope than what happened with uh, the, the sanctuary uh, counties movement in Virginia so mm-hmm. it's it's interesting because Yunkin has seized on on the school board protests. Uh, that's basically his main issue, uh, but he's effectively ignored the gun rights uh, grassroots movement that came before that. And and I do wonder if that is the right calculation. I mean, clearly Dominion and the consulting firm they gave money to don't think so, um, or at least they they think it leaves them vulnerable with his own turnout on, on the Republican side. Well, and, and that's the and, thing. I don't know. I, I mean, it, it is going to be, you know, we say that about every election, there's going to be a turnout election, but it, you know, they're talking about turnout well under 50%. I mean, in Virginia, this is an off year election. It's always a struggle to get people to turn out. So um, voter apathy is a concern or should be a concern for both campaigns. Now, you know, ordinarily it'd be more of a concern for, uh, uh, Glenn Youngkin, because, you know, Biden won the state by 10 points. So Terry McAuliffe should have a cushion, right? He should have a margin of apathy. Um, but he, because he's such a extraordinarily awful candidate, um, you know, he doesn't have that margin. Um, and, and because I think Youngkin has run a good campaign, it's not, like I said, it's not necessarily the campaign that I would have run. But the fact that we're seeing these polls where he's tied, where he's ahead by double digits with independence. He's within four uh, of Terry McAuliffe among women. Um, you know, that that's, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Um, and he's not, you know, as you say, he's walking the tightrope. It's not like Lynn Youngkin's come out and said, well, you know, there's some common sense gun safety reforms I'd like to see in place, but I can't really talk about what those are. No, um, I, I think he has managed to 
I think you're right. I think he has decided that that the gun issue right now uh, is probably not worth bringing up politically because it might motivate Democrats in Northern Virginia. And he probably feels like he does have gun owners uh, pretty well in hand. Um, and I, I think that's the case because McAuliffe has been outspoken about gun control. He hasn't, you know, held a huge gun control rally or anything of that nature, but he says, yeah, I want to ban AR-15s. Yeah, I want to ban large capacity magazines. Um, you reported on the uh, uh, the audio from uh, 2018 or 19? 2019. Yeah. 2019, where, you know, gun shows, oh, they're the worst. Um, yeah, this was a guy who who wanted praise for supposedly saving gun shows and, and reciprocity uh, the last time he was governor. And and now he's told us ah, that that was all BS. You know, yeah. I, I, it, was, it was just what was politically expedient for him at the time. Uh, and now it's politically expedient for him to try to go after our guns. And so yeah. I think that gun owners are aware. And so you're right. Yeah. I think that this ultimately was a net negative for the McAuliffe campaign. I think this backfired for him because, yeah. A, it did get gun owners talking. So it got us sharing this information with our friends. And maybe we weren't doing that before. Um, but now it gave us something to talk about. Right. And, you know, and, and 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 we're talking about it, uh, as you say, I mean, they're protesting outside of Dominion. So yeah. gun owners are now fired up. Um, they are engaged. I think I think they were going to show up at the polls, but now they might be calling their friends to see if they need a ride. You know, right. And, and I, I think in this election with how close it is, uh, even though this has not been the primary focus of either candidate, you know, every little bit is going to matter. Oh, when, yeah. When when an election's down to a couple points. Yeah. Uh, now, I, you know, I, I don't want to get people too excited about uh, the outcome of this thing or, or like be definitive about it, because we did. We have seen this this sort of play a uh, couple the last two uh, gubernatorial elections in Virginia, where at the end it tightens and everybody thinks uh, the Republicans going to pull it off. He's he's doing a little. Uh, he's. He's right within a couple points. It's closer than it was. And then they lose. Right. That's happened the last two times with like, Cuccinelli and uh, who was the last one? The last Republican North and beat. Um, um, uh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. You know, which tells you how memorable <laughs> our candidates have been. Um, right. I can't, I, I can't for the life of me. But um, uh, but either way. Um, so, you know, this is sort of a story that's happened. Of course, McDonald pulled it off uh, before before uh, McAuliffe. So it's certainly not impossible. The state has obviously changed quite a bit, but we are, it is an off year election. You have president, uh, sorry, president Biden in office and his uh, approval ratings have fallen significantly. And so off year elections like this tend to also have uh, a sort of uh, referendum effect to them on the party that's currently in control of the presidency. And that, that's the Democrats and, and Biden's not doing so hot right now. With approval, so that that might be dragging down McAuliffe's numbers as well. Uh, so there are some factors that point to maybe uh, maybe Youngkin can pull it off. I think the him doing so well in Northern Virginia compared to you know Cuccinelli or or the other losing candidates that Republicans have put up is a big sign that he he has a real fighting chance. And and certainly McAuliffe's become a lot more desperate in his rhetoric. Uh, recently, and he's got Biden is coming out to Arlington, I guess, uh, it just uh, was just reported recently here. So he's he's still trying to bring in as many big names as he can. Um, actually, I wanted to real quick, you, yeah. you touched on the 2019 
uh, comments from McAuliffe. One of the interesting things to me in those comments that hasn't gotten a ton of attention is, uh, you know, he describes the uh, 2016 deal that they were that was made uh, over gun carry reciprocity, over concealed carry reciprocity for for people coming from other states that have concealed carry permits, them being valid in Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, you know. In 2016, after they had failed to capture control of the state house, uh, despite uh, millions of dollars worth of donations from gun control advocacy groups and Michael Bloomberg, uh, it seemed like how that all went down, and you you were following it at the time, just like I was, uh, was that Mark Herring, who's still the attorney general today and is is actually running for re-election, and why this point I think really matters, um, he unilaterally did away with all of our reciprocity deals, which made mm -hmm. uh, it illegal for anyone to, to carry a handgun uh, concealed in Virginia if they were from out of state, uh, even if they had a permit from their home state, right? Uh, and this was a huge deal at the time. Oh, yeah, because um, a lot of other states canceled their reciprocity with Virginia. Uh, right. And so all of a sudden now Virginians couldn't carry in North Carolina. So, I mean, you had, you yep. know, a lot of people along the who live along these borders who all of a sudden were completely screwed because of uh, yep. what Herring did. Yeah. Right. And uh, or Pennsylvania, where I'm from. And uh, it personally affected me <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> uh, it was very annoying. And then Pennsylvania's uh, AG did the same thing uh, and, and got rid of we still don't have reciprocity with with Pennsylvania, unfortunately, which is very annoying for me personally. <laughs> If yeah. anyone cares, <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, um, so he, uh, that backfired horribly at the time and led to the legislature, which was controlled by, by Republicans, um, passing a, a bill or introducing bills to override what the attorney general wanted to do with reciprocity, because this is, first of all, this has never been done before. No, no attorney general had done anything like this. It wasn't like something that right. was normal or it was this is like a fairly extreme, like technically had the power to do this, but no one else had ever tried something like that. Mm -hmm. before. The, the, the power is supposed to be the, the, like the attorney general is supposed to go out and make these deals, not break all of them unilaterally on his own. That was never the intention behind him having that power. So it, it, it pissed off a lot of people, as you noted there. And and so um, the uh, what ended up happening was. There was horrible backlash. They were going to pass these laws and they were going to have a veto proof majority was the rumor, at least at the time. So McAuliffe couldn't do anything to stop them from putting this in law. So instead, he made this deal where we got uh, universal recognition of all uh, out of state concealed carry permits in exchange for uh, prohibition on um, essentially people who have domestic violence related uh, restraining orders against them have to turn in their firearms which is not a controversial uh, position. Like the VCDL supported that. The, the deal was not in any way viewed as much of a compromise. It was definitely a win for uh, gun rights groups. But uh, uh, McAuliffe tries to spin this in his 2019 comments as him like making, you know, the, the first he says the attorney general did this and it gave him leverage to make this deal which is a wild, a wild uh, distortion of the reality of what happened. But the more interesting part of it to me was that he admits in those comments that Herring uh, did this, unilaterally removed these, these uh, reciprocity deals, while knowing that nobody had ever come into Virginia, according to McAuliffe, no one had ever come into Virginia with an out-of-state license and hurt anyone. 
uh, and they apparently knew this, and he's openly talking about this in 2019. So this move was done completely for political reasons and not out of any sense of, uh, you know, safety concerns. Right. And, and that is interesting to me because Herring is running for re-election, even though Herring, Herring was the other uh, state official who had a blackface controversy, who admitted mm -hmm. that he, too, wore blackface in college, just like current governor Ralph Northam did. And so, uh, which is also probably why they needed McAuliffe to come back and run again, because their their top three guys in state government here for the Democrats all basically got uh, tar, you know, tarnished for life by terrible scandals, although none of them resigned over them. You had well, Northam did thing. blackface, Herring did blackface, and then the lieutenant governor was accused of sexual uh, misconduct as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think in a way, I mean, I think that you're right. I think the Democrat establishment uh, was was probably very happy to see McAuliffe come back. But, you know, Doug Wilder, who was the first black governor of Virginia, um, has been very critical of Terry McAuliffe uh, mm. because McAuliffe said at the time of Northam and, and uh, Herring's blackface scandals that they should resign. And now he's campaigning with them. Uh, you know, yeah. he's, he, he's he's standing side by side, Mark Herring. Um, and Doug Wilder has uh, criticized McAuliffe for that. He is they actually he accused McAuliffe of jumping in line ahead of black female legislators who were running uh, for the governorship. And if McAuliffe hadn't been in the race, the Democrats probably would have nominated a black woman uh, as their candidate. So that's one of the reasons why you're seeing Kamala Harris and why you're seeing Stacey Abrams and why you're seeing, you know, uh, women of color, politicians of color coming mm -hmm. to Virginia now because McCall is very concerned about whether or not black Democrats are going to turn out to vote for him uh, or black independents. Uh, and, you know, the the other person on the ballot who rarely, if ever, gets mentioned is a woman named Princess Blanding, who is running as the Liberation Party candidate, not the Libertarian Party candidate, but the Liberation Party candidate to, to Terry McAuliffe's left. Um, but she is the sister of uh, Marcus Peters, who was uh, killed by the Richmond police. Um, she is, you know, very well known in social justice circles. There's no way she's winning, but every vote she gets is probably a vote taken away from Terry McAuliffe. Um, and, you know, McAuliffe is really concerned that if they're at 46, 46, what happens if Princess Blanding gets 3% of the vote or 4% of the vote? Uh, or 5% of the vote. And so you're right about McCall's desperation, but I, I think, I think a lot of it is structural. Um, I, you know, he, I, like I said, I think he's an awful politician, but I think he was the wrong candidate for the Democrats this year. And I think that Glenn Youngkin has turned out to be, you know, if not the right candidate, um, a right candidate, uh, because I think he's, you know, he, he's done what he has needed to do. Uh, to uh, to keep this race close, um, he has been able to capitalize on McAuliffe's, you know, just I mean, the, the and I think it's ultimately going to come down to if McAuliffe loses, it's going to be that statement that parents shouldn't have a say in what their kids learn in school. All right. So about, bottom line, you think that Youngkin is in a position to win now and McAuliffe is the one who's scrambling to catch up at this point, basically. Yeah, I do think that's the dynamic of the race at the moment. I mean, I think that um, this is now Youngkin's race to lose. I still think it's going to be close. 
Um, I, I think it's going to be fluid, but I, I think the energy right now is with Yunkin, and I think Terry McAuliffe is flailing. Um, and like we talked about, I mean, there are just some structural problems with, with McAuliffe's candidacy uh, that I think are going to make it really difficult for him to pull it out. But, you know, bottom line, I mean, look, if gun owners stay home in Virginia on Election Day, um, we're only going to have ourselves to blame. If we turn out, if we show up, I think that we've got a chance to defeat Terry McAuliffe's gun ban. I think we've got a chance to block any new gun control laws. But, uh, you know, again, for both sides, it's going to come out to it's going to come down to who turns out, who shows up. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think if Youngkin pulls off an upset here, that's going to be a big deal. Um, oh, it's going to be a know, huge that, deal. That's going to say a lot. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, this is a Biden plus 10 state at this point uh, and a Republican winning state. Now, obviously, it's not unheard of, but uh, Virginia has been trending blue ever since the last Republican governor we had almost a decade ago. It was, it was more than a decade ago at this point, right? Yeah. Um, 2013. So just just under a decade ago, I guess nine years ago. Yeah, but it's been more uh, than a decade since we've elected one. Yeah, yeah, right. So, uh, boy, that'll be interesting. And I really do think that you're right about the the gun uh, implications here, the, the implications of this Dominion story, and how it it's probably backfired a lot at this point from what I've seen. And you know, it's hard it's hard to know without polling, but but it does feel like. Uh, Guns have become a much more salient issue at the very end of this race and could motivate a number of people uh, to turn out. And in a race this close, that could matter a lot. Uh, but thanks for coming on. What uh, Tell the people where they can find more of you. You bet. Uh, you can find more of me at BarionArms.com. Uh, also, just look up Barion Arms uh, Cam and Company on uh, YouTube or Rumble or all of the podcast platforms, and you can find us there. Uh, and if you want some non-two-way stuff, uh, you can also visit my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Cam Edwards. Uh, Miss E and I do a fairly irregular podcast uh, called Foul Language, F-O-W-L, although it, it is uncensored. Uh, and I've just started doing a uh, another podcast called The, uh, the Reading Rabbit Hole, uh, in which I go through some really obscure bits of American history that uh, I've come across in my reading. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah, uh, you'll have to update us on what it's like to live with the Amish, because uh, I, I have to tell you, as someone who's lived next to Ch Lancaster County for most of his life, that the buggy, the buggy traffic is very annoying. Buddy, I got to tell you, I mean, like this <laughs> is very this, annoying. We we just had a horrible accident in the next county over. Um, mm. the, both parents were killed. Six kids were injured. <laughs> uh, you know, all of them Amish in a buggy. And part of it is because we have had a lot of Amish move in over the last few years and people don't know how to drive yeah. around the, you know, we're still driving like they don't exist. Um, right. You got to be careful. That, absolutely. Especially those are all back roads that they're that they're driving their buggies on. It's not. Yep. It's a, and you can, can come up on dangerous. them real fast. Yeah, it's it can go from uh, annoying to dangerous very fast. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But yeah, the, uh, but the Walmart yeah. by my mom actually has a, st uh, a stable in the parking lot for people to park their their horses. Really? The shop. Yes. Because oh, it's not just Amish, right, that, that do that. Uh, You've got uh, Mennonites. There's sort of a, a spectrum, uh, that right. sort of lifestyle out there. So they don't all necessarily shun, you know, shopping at Walmart or whatever. They need uh, a flag. Yeah. <laughs> Hand sewn, uh, of course. Right. There you go. Nice. Um, I mean, I, I've always found this is getting way off track, but I've always found the uh, the whole Amish thing in southeastern Pennsylvania 
is is very much a, a like marketing scam 99% of the time uh that people like to just slap Amish made or whatever on on everything and just pretend that that well uh, yeah but, uh, because there it is tourist garbage it was going to say there it's a huge tourism industry yeah. uh and and we haven't we haven't had that pop up yet we we only have i mean we have the authentic Amish industries. Um, next time I come on, yep. I'll, I'll tell you about the, uh, the the Amish guy who occasionally calls me on my cell phone, yeah. which I didn't realize you were supposed to do. But uh, I, again, I think uh, there's a whole spectrum there. It's again, not, right? It's not a lot quite of, as, uh, lot of loopholes. A lot of, uh, right? Yeah, the, the yeah, gun control it, lobby it, would love the Amish because there's so many <laughs> loopholes to close. There's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's uh, to each their own, I guess, as far as. Right. Uh, I don't want to lose my Amish listenership here by, <laughs> by being too harsh on them. But uh, but you're yeah, the Dave so Chappelle I, of the Amish, Stephen Katowski. I just uh, when they hear about them, this, it's not as romantic as as it seems. Um, but hey, that's that's their right to live the way they want. Um, exactly. Just be careful when you're driving out in Lancaster County. Or now, uh, Central Virginia. Phone. Yeah, exactly yes. right. Well, hey man, thanks for the invite. This was this is always yeah. fun. We got to get you back on uh, Baron Arms Cam and Company. Yes, soon. absolutely. We will do that very soon. Thanks, thanks for coming on, and we'll have you back on here again because I've always enjoyed talking to you. Anytime. And that's all we've got for this week's episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. If you enjoyed it, the number one thing you can do to help us out is go ahead and rate or review the podcast on whatever app you're listening to it on. Uh, like it on Facebook, share it, spread the joy around, um, and we will see you again next week. Uh, you can also obviously buy a membership. That's that's a really big help, uh, you know, in directly funding the Reload. It's an independent publication that does not receive any sort of backing from any gun groups or, or any one that would provide any sort of conflict of interest. It's 100% reader funded at this point, and we need those memberships to survive because we are 100% accountable to you guys, the readers, the listeners. Now, if you want to be a part of that, if you want to help make this all possible, you can head on over to thereload.com today and buy a membership. But until next time, I'm Stephen Gutowski, and I will see you again soon. Just for fun, I had one friend, now there's none. I made the devil run. I broke so many bones. 